Welcome to another episode of Angry Girl Music of the Indie Rock Persuasion. I'm your host, Amanda Starling, here to talk to you about all things intersectional feminism, DIY, and of course, the music. Hello, friends. It's been a busy, hype-filled October with so much buzz between the fest, the ever-looming 100th episode of the podcast, a new Star Wars trailer, so expect the next week or so to be packed with awesome Angry Girl Music content, including a possible bonus episode where some friends of the pod and I are going to talk about some Star Wars, you know, just crossing an item off of my podcast-making bucket list. So yeah, it's a good time to uh, to be doing this pod and celebrating all the awesome things. So thanks for listening, of course, as always. Um, but now on to this week's guest. This week, I'm joined by the talented solo artist Rosa Bordalio, who has written a love letter to herself and her heritage in her latest record, Reef Walker. Rosa is intentional in her songwriting, taking her own experiences and identity and history and translating that into a meaningful art. In short, she's working to authentically represent Indigenous voices and also reveal who she is at the same time. This week, Rosa joins to talk about writing and recording Reef Walker, falling in love with New York, her familial connections and her music, and so much more. So with that, let's listen to some music off of Reef Walker and then hear the interview with Rosa.
Well, welcome Rosa to Angry Girl Music of the Indie Walk Persuasion. Uh, how are things going? Things are going pretty well. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You're based out of Brooklyn, right? I am, yes. That's so cool. I, I love visiting New York. It's been a long time since I was last there, but um, a lot of my friends in Brooklyn in particular, they talk about how much they love the music community and everything that's going on in that area. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's, um, I've been here for some time now, so um, it's nice to hear from people who visit <laughs> me what to, what to appreciate here. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I feel like the longer you live somewhere and stuff, it gets, it becomes so ingrained in like routine and what you do and identity and stuff that it kind of, sometimes you kind of lose the magic with where you're living for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I try to, yeah, it's good. It's a good thing to keep in mind for sure. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I'd want to live anywhere else. That's, that's, I mean, other than my, you know, where I'm from Guam, like, yeah, I'm very comfortable here. It's like my second home. That's so awesome. What made you decide to move to Brooklyn? Um, so moving to Brooklyn, well, I moved to New York. I moved mm -hmm. to New York for college. So my first two years were was in Manhattan and mm -hmm. then Queens for a couple years and then Brooklyn. And I moved to Brooklyn to be closer to my boyfriend at the time. Um, and also just because I was, I ended up spending a lot of time here. Um, you know, not coming here from Queens is pretty crazy. Um, if you're not familiar with it, it's a crazy commute. Yeah. So I figured like, oh, well, I might as well actually just move there already. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's why I'm here. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. Um, what made you decide New York for college? Well, New York was my, like, it it was just my top choice as a city. Mm -hmm. um, I visited when I was, I visited a couple times um, as a young person. Like my sister went to college here. So <laughs> I was lucky in that I got to visit her here and like, and just like those visits were, you know, definitely magical. Um, the city has always had a special place in my imagination. Um, I, I mean, I don't think I can tell you all the movies I, I grew up watching that just happened to be set in New York. I mean, there's like some really random ones too, like that I ask people about and they don't remember them because I grew up with like cable TV and, and like there were these syndicated movies yeah. that no one remembers anymore. And they were just like the corniest, cheesiest movies, but <laughs> almost all of them are set in New York. And, you know, it was just like, it's New York, you know, it's, yeah, I came here for the same reasons as probably almost anyone else, you know, to just like lose yourself in the city and the stimulation that's here, the culture, the nightlife, like it's, yeah, it's an unparalleled city. Uh, that's so true. Do you remember your favorite of those movies that just is like, yeah, this is it? Um, I mean, I can't pick a favorite. The, I think the one, there may two movies that are special for that reason but mm -hmm. I think the one that most people will be familiar with is Desperately Seeking Susan like mm -hmm. that was that was on heavy rotation <laughs> um and you know Madonna of course um and I grew up so I was like yeah I was like maybe five years old watching on TV watching Madonna's like when she had music videos like nonstop mm -hmm. for 10 or 15 years straight, it seemed like, like she, I grew up with that in the background, you know? So, yeah. so uh, 
I think desperately seeking season is like a kind of like a like one good reference point. Um, I mean, there are Woody Allen movies, but really don't want to give him any attention. No. <laughs> he's had enough of it and enough success. Um, but he's an obvious one. But um, there's there's a movie called Slaves of New York, which is based on um, a, sh- a, ser- a book of stories by Tama Janowitz. And I, I recommend that book. The movie is pretty good, too. So I recommend that movie. But yeah, oh. those are like the things that influenced me. That's so cool. Well, it's interesting how like pop culture and movies can kind of like stimulate us in our interests and stuff. So that's really cool that movies were kind of one of those things that like made you think about New York in that way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I grew up so painfully shy that I spent a lot of time watching TV, watching movies, listening to music, like just kind of in my own head. So um, these were, this was, you know, it, to me, it's like, it's just as real as anything else in a sense. Oh, Creating sure. reality, you know, it, it influences you as deeply as, as you know, real life can. So. I, yeah, definitely. I can see that. At what point did music kind of start to come into the picture for you, learning to play? Um, learning to play came into the picture when I was a teenager. I tried at age 12 to learn guitar. Like I, 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 took maybe two or three guitar lessons and then I think I took maybe two or three piano lessons and I just couldn't stick with it mm-hmm. um music I was I was singing like elementary school had music class every year we had choir we had like musical productions so it was in my life that way mm-hmm. um there were musicians in my extended family um but I didn't really pick up playing music until I was like about 15 and I I that's when I really learned enough to play guitar and play a full song Mm -hmm. um so that's when it started for me and almost immediately I started writing songs so songwriting and guitar playing for me are just like kind of always together because I actually don't consider myself a decent guitar player after all these years I just played just well enough to to write a song Hey, that's still important, though, whenever it comes to songwriting and stuff, because sometimes you need to have, like, the sound that corresponds to the lyrics that you're putting together. Like, they all sew together in a way, so I'm sure it helps kind of guide in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. Do you, do you remember having any artists or musicians that got you really excited about playing music that kind of motivated you? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's kind of like movies there's too many fully do do justice to 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 what influenced me but um I would say that in you know from like ages 10 11 12 Mm -hmm. um there were a lot of uh I was actually listening to a lot of women and I don't know if that was so much intentional it's just I think it's just that type that time of your life where you're kind of hungry for, at least when I was growing up, at least the culture I was growing up in, kind of hungry for um, women or anyone who's just like, who recognizes what you're going through. So mm-hmm. for me, it ended up being, um, you know, I my brother came back from college with a whole bunch of CDs, kind of like a treasure trove of CDs. So for me, it ended up being like uh, Bikini Kill, you know, which a lot of people have, have 
been impacted by. Um, also, Heavens to Betsy had had like I had a I had a record by them with like Axeman on it and and like a Kill Rock Stars complete I had all the Kill Rock Stars compilations and um, you know the bands on those those compilations are great mm -hmm. but um, Bikini Kill was impactful um, TJ Harvey was a huge 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 um, like made a huge contribution to just like my, my thought processes even and then yeah. um Bjork like I've I've I remember sharing um like listening to Bjork because I, my oldest brother was a fan of hers and he put me up on um her first album and then her second album came out which is Post right and then the third album came out um which is uh homogenic and then and then Vespertine came out and it's like Birkett was that artist for me that like every time she put out an album it just exploded my mind it was just like like I really looked forward to I just really expected to be like shifted or surprised or transformed and then she would just like do it and exceed my expectations even mm. though I was like expecting it it was still like holy like whoa it so Birk was like a really 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 important um influence to me when I was when I was a young teenager then by high school um I like I met a group of people who put me up on uh, Pixies. I was already a fan of the Breeders, and they didn't know the history of the Breeders, so the Pixies was really important to me. Um, mm -hmm. Even David Bowie's stuff, like David Bowie's early stuff, I, I wasn't aware of, and that music was really special to me. So there's just I don't know. Those are like the big ones that stand out. But uh -huh. if you just leave me alone talking, I could. <laughs> <laughs> That's so. amazing, though. I love the variety of that background, though, because it's like you have like the heavy punk stuff, like stuff like Bikini Kill, and I mean. York's sound is just very unique in itself and same for Bowie. I mean, what a really cool pool to be pulling from in that sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I I just I know what I like kind of as soon as I like it and then that's it. Like I'm pretty loyal. I'm a pretty loyal fan. <laughs> oh, I can imagine so. Did do you find yourself like raiding your brother's collection of CDs cuz I found myself doing that with like some of my dads as a kid like being like, "Oh, I like this sound." I mean, I feel really lucky in that respect because mm -hmm. um, I had three older siblings who each liked music, so I got all their hand-me-downs in a sense, you know, like nice. Um, and they and they each had very different musical tastes. I'd have to say I did not grow up really listening to jazz or being exposed to jazz, so I feel like that's one thing I can say. I mean, I mean country music. I think people can understand when I'm like, nah, I'm not into country, but like I have a lot of friends who are into jazz, and I'm like, I still feel like such a such a kind of you know such a beginner in a sense so mm -hmm. but but in terms of like rock music house music um even techno like uh soul i mean i love i love motown you know like classic mm -hmm. soul like there was a lot of that just kind of as a soundtrack to my my youth i guess that's so awesome well it's great when you have that much yeah yeah because it kind of just gets, I feel like that feeds an interest big time when it comes to music because it's like, oh, cool, how can I make that sound or um, that interests me. Maybe I want to pursue something like this. Um, 
So tell me about kind of like your first experiences playing with others. I know you were in um, the band Cholo and you yeah. had, you had all the, those experiences. Um, tell me about kind of like your first projects and maybe how that kind of helped cultivate you as a musician. Yeah. Um, I, you know what? I feel like Cholo could safely be called my first project because before Cholo, I was, I got to, to New York at age 19 and Cholo, I feel like I got into that band like within months of getting here. Mm -hmm. Um, before Cholo, I was basically kind of, I was just kind of off to myself, like making music, you know, making songs on my own on guitar. Mm -hmm. And I probably performed in front of people like a total of three times, like not even a whole show, just like, oh, cool. Like no one's paying attention. And you're like, sure, I'll get on the mic and mm -hmm. play a song or two of mine. Um, but I, I was always for, you know, for a decent amount of time, I was around musicians, like I dated musicians and, um, honestly, it was such a, it was, to me, it was kind of a sausage party. That was my experience mm -hmm. as a teenager. Um, there weren't a lot of shows to begin with. Like there wasn't a lot of live music going on mm -hmm. where I was growing up, but if there was, chances are it was guy, guy band, you know, playing. Mm -hmm. So I felt very intimidated by that. Um, I know there were definitely, I mean, there were definitely like um, women playing music and they were like amazing musicians. It just, it, you know, I, I was just intimidated by the fact that it tended to be guys, you know, they were still in the majority. So when I came here and I auditioned for this band, Cholo, that was already formed, already had music written, mm -hmm. um, I was really excited by the opportunity because I was like, they had recorded songs and I listened to these songs and I was just like, wow, this is great. Like I would be, like I was praying basically. I was just like, please, please, please just let me get into this band. Like I'm so not qualified to be in this band, but, but, um, but I made it. And um, so I made it into this band with three members who were, you know, 10 years older than me. Mm -hmm. um, and I was in New York as a total like new person in New York, which anyone from New York understands what that is. It's like, you know, you could, I mean, I was, I don't want to say the word naive, but I was pretty freaking naive and, and just, I don't know. So you were in the band for quite some time, like 10 years, I'd say. Yeah. I think yeah. It was 10 years. That was a great experience. That was really, I mean, I can't, I can't um, measure what that experience was for me because mm -hmm. that was when I really started to write songs. Mm -hmm. um, and I had, I wrote songs together with people, Felipe Flores, the, uh, so Cholo is Felipe Flores, um, the front man and the, and the guy who started the band um, and the singing guitarist and then Gary Gartlin was the bassist and then Dave Kibble was the drummer and um, it was it was interesting because I think I was so excited about being in New York that I just kind of took these risks that I didn't see as risks because mm. it was you know what I mean like I like it's kind of like when you're so uncool like you don't care about anything to protect your, <laughs> your image it's like you just do something because it's like god that would be fucking awesome and then you just do it and that's how I felt with Cholo I was just like like I probably said things that sounded so silly to them but I was just like yeah I'll just do this you know like hey I have a song idea and mm -hmm. and they were receptive to it and and to their credit they really like 
um, had confidence, they had interest in what I was offering, you know, so um, it's an, it was an all smooth sailing, you know, we were, we were four people who were pretty like stubborn, we had our own stubborn streaks, um, but at the same time we had, um, we had like, you know, a sense of humor about things, so mm -hmm. we just built like a friendship first, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so when I look back on the Cholo days, I'm really grateful because there really wasn't a lot of drama. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's why it lasted that long. And we just kind of were in it to just enjoy, you know, creating and collaborating. And, um, and that's, yeah. So I have to say, I, I do feel lucky that I had like 10 years of that basically. That's so awesome because it's like you figure you're collaborating, you're learning how to play in a band with other people, and you're playing a sound that's really like dynamic. I mean, cello is a pretty punky sounding band with the music that I went back and I listened to and everything. Um, do you feel like that influenced your style at all? Um, I mean, it's it must have, you know, like. There, there was so much going into Cholo in terms of influences. Mm -hmm. There was definitely, I mean, Felipe was, is also a saxophone player and um, he's definitely into jazz. So he brought yeah. in that. Um, Gary had a lot of, you know, he listened to The Fall, Wire, like he's, he's Irish. So he had a lot of like knowledge of like British, you know, British rock, punk, post-punk. So it's like he brought in that and, you know, and Dave like, is like a really great drummer mm -hmm. and and also just a great person and who who you know was willing to to try so much and and really like extend himself to to play drums to play these really interesting drum beats for us so um yeah the the um what was great about cholo is just that we we didn't have much pressure <laughs> mm -hmm. When you're a band that's not making any money, really, you know, you're just, you're just having fun. Yeah. So, so we really could kind of indulge ourselves and like, you know, if we could have played, we could write a song together and then just kind of put it on the back burner mm -hmm. and then, oh my God, we have a show coming up. Oh yeah. Let's get that other song like from the archives, you know, and try it again. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was really cool to, to write, to, to have that experience, just feeling comfortable being mm -hmm. That's so cool. And um, so with that, at, around kind of, it seems like t toward the end of Cholo, you started kind of like putting out your own music that you were working on. Were, were you writing the entire time that you were playing in Cholo? Right. So I was writing for Cholo mm -hmm. and it, you know, or with Cholo, right? So we would, I was co-writing songs. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes we were splitting it evenly where it's like, I just came up with the song with the lyrics and then like we worked out the, the arranged, like we, um, the band like basically wrote all the, the other parts. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was this overlap and what happened was that Cholo was being recorded by um, this guy, Mark Oskovat, who's great. Um, so he really encouraged um, me, he, I, I think it must have come from him because he, because he should, he was just like, come by anytime to record, mm -hmm. like, I'll record you, you know, like, like, just show up, like it's, it was just so low key, and um, so I just started recording with Mark on my own, and that was what led to Manette, which, mm -hmm. which was my solo project for you know almost ten years, yeah, um, and. And yeah, so he produced or he co-produced like my first EP mm -hmm. and um, 
And that was really a shift for me because it was really actually a really scary time for me to write something and put it out just on my own. Really? Um, but I felt like it was really important for me too. Because what's, what's interesting about Cholo is that Felipe created this band and the name Cholo is, is actually um, referring to a, like a Peruvian term for someone from kind of like this kind of like I think maybe the way we refer to it as Hicks or mm. yeah, I don't even know if it fully translates but it's like someone from the country who's like mm -hmm. in the city and it's like a derogatory term mm -hmm. but he's he's you know he's Peruvian American he grew up in Long Island so so he really wanted some rock music that like dealt with all the like the complications and complexities of, of, of his you know his identity and his struggles like growing up in Long Island mm -hmm. and I actually I actually felt like with songwriting, there was something that I was, I had to kind of explore on my own and right. without the influence of other people and without, you know, and also just without needing to serve other people's mm -hmm. kind of, you know, you write, if you write a song together with other people, you want them to feel like it's their song too. Like you're, you're writing it together. And then when you're writing a song for yourself, you're just like, there's just like a freedom there and you can explore more vulnerable sides of yourself. So that's, that's why it was scary for me because it was like, holy cow, like, do I even have anything to say? Like, do I even, you know what I mean? But it just kind of slowly, like the more I kept working at it, I realized like, oh yeah, this is actually what I'm, like, this is important for me. It's, it's an important step in the process. Right. And it's cool because I feel like with Manette leading into now what you're calling your actual name, it seems like you are starting to kind of, unpack your own experience your own narrative in a way that was probably um it's more personal for you rather than having to kind of like share that platform with somebody else's experiences yeah and it really is just like a steady it's interesting how it just progressed because i only you know I, someone put it to me this way like when i used the name manette mm -hmm. they were like oh you know sometimes like people need an alias because in a sense they're giving themselves permission to not you know because when they perform under their own name like I explained like I don't know I just don't really feel comfortable doing that like for some reason it just was kind of it felt inhibiting to me mm -hmm. so that's why I chose Manette because to me Manette felt more, like a more real like name for what I was trying to express so then now by putting out this album under my my name which I should say out loud because no one knows how it's pronounced but Rosa Berdalio um, okay so now that I'm putting this out under my name, I feel like it's this step forward and I'm, you know what I mean? Like something's definitely shifted where I feel like, oh, I can retire Manette now. Like mm -hmm. she did her thing. She had her purpose. Maybe I'll go back to her, but, but like now I, I can move on from that. Right. Cause at that point you're like openly owning these new songs that are coming out, which is really cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, just one one more question kind of about Manette. From my understanding, that was a name that you're, that is similar sounding to your grandfather's. What made you decide to go by Manette specifically? Yeah, so so my grandfather's name is Manuel Perez, mm -hmm. and in Chamorro, the pronunciation of Manuel is Manette. Mm -hmm. So um, the sound Manette actually brings me back to my childhood because I wrote, I, I remember so vividly just like being in my grandmother's house and she would come in 
and, and call her husband, you know, like Manette, <laughs> just kind of, um, kind of in a loud, mean way. <laughs> so, so like that sound, like Manette, like that's just like that trigger for me in a sense. Um, mm-hmm. But then I also like that if you don't know anything about that, and Manette can be like, you know, a French, like taking the word man and then adding ett, mm-hmm. e, you know, like a like a, a feminine man or something. I, I liked I liked that too, and and how it could be read that way. Um, but mostly, it's it really is just kind of you know this tender regard I have for my grandfather, who is like the nicest person I've ever known in my life. So um, so yeah, I wanted to I wanted to kind of like do that as, as an ode to him as well. That's really special. Well, I love that, and it feels like um, it's really special whenever people make that effort to make their music that much more intimate with that kind of connection and everything. And I feel like that's something you accomplish amazingly throughout all of your music. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, music really is personal for me. It's, it is my outlet and like, I'm not, I'm definitely not this unguarded in, in any other aspect of my life. So mm-hmm. in a strange way, it's like a safe, safe way for me to be unguarded. Yeah, definitely. And your music, just the sound in itself, I feel like it is very unguarded in that sense. Um, how would you kind of describe your sound exactly? Because, I mean, I couldn't pick a genre if my life depended on it. And I love that fact about your music. <laughs> I know, I know. Whenever I try to just to write it down, like like in the elevator pitch or something, it's like, I don't know. Because I, I refer to it as dream pop. I refer to it as like, even like, you know, grunge inflected something, something and freak folk, you know, like I've, I'm really... I'm really struggling here, but that's up to you guys, honestly. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to label it. If anyone wants to come up with a label, I'm happy to, as long as it's not offensive, I'm happy to, to apply it. Yeah, for sure. Just because, like, yeah, I think it must be all those influences from your childhood and playing with different bands and stuff just kind of seeping in there, and there's just, it's impossible to pick. Yeah, I can't write in this consistent way. I think like hearing one idea and like I'm gonna go with it. Sure. Yeah. That's my next goal. My next goal will be to be a little bit more cohesive. But yeah, for now this is this is where I'm at. That that's awesome though, because it's like it's better when you let that creativity just be dynamic and stuff. Because I felt like there, I was listening closely to every song on Reef Walker for that exact reason. Because I'm like, she's gonna do something different here, and oh, (laughs) she's doing something different here, and it was just like. It's not often that, like, with a full-length record, you're intrigued by every single track, and not just every single track, but different parts of each track. In that oh, sense, that's so great. I'm so glad you you you're you're receiving it that way. And I have to say, like, um, this album was produced by Dwayne Leginiger, and he did an amazing job. And I I'm really excited by the whole thing, and really happy with what came out. So. I can't take all credit, but <laughs> you both worked very hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, 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 you know, I think that's the, the great thing about just finding someone who's already kind of on your wavelength. Like they, you can like trust them to, 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 to kind of do what they want to do. And then it's great when it works out. Right. Well, um, you kind of talked a little bit here about working with Dwayne in that sense, but what was it like for you to kind of write and record Reef Walker? Um, I mean, I have to say this has been maybe a three-year process of, of getting everything done because, um, you know, I have a full-time job. Um, I have 
I have parental responsibilities. I'm actually the mother of a son. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it was just like trying to fit this into every nook and cranny that I could, you know, mm-hmm. this time. But it also wasn't, in a sense, it was also like my my time. So, so you know, music's been my outlet for I don't know how long. So creating it has been a priority for me for a very long time. So whatever time I could squirrel away, I did that. And And in the beginning, I had a lot of, support from two people Don Denniston and Felipe Flores um, because I was just you know after Cholo after um, recording a couple EPs for Manette like I had some changes in my life in New York here I mean you know I won't go into the boring details but basically I was just I just went through so much in like a year or two years that I just needed to like get a rehearsal space that and show up once a week and just like do like just not even know what to do but just be in there so that's what I did for myself I showed up once a week in rehearsal space for like two or three hours and then that's where the song started to those song ideas started to just come from that void in a sense you know I made space for it the songs came into being and then um, I started to play with Don Denniston, uh, guitarist, and Felipe, my my old bandmate from Cholo. Like he he filled in um, for a couple shows that I did mm-hmm. um, on drums. So you know, having in a sense, you know, there. <laughs> I don't know if midwife is the right word, but it still helps to like have people who who kind of understand the creative process and are just there. You know, like. Right. Whether they're filling in a, you know, or they have an idea, you know, and they'll play like a guitar part. So I ended up recording some demos with them. Mm-hmm. And then with those demos, I um, approached, uh, well, I ended up recording like three demos with them. And then I still had these other songs. And with the way life is, like, you know, Felipe and, and Don, they're pretty busy. And I, I was still like, oh my God, like, I still have stuff I want to keep going with. So that's when I approached Dwayne um, with with my other songs because I just wanted to get everything recorded mm-hmm. so then Dwayne heard the other demos and was just like you know what this stuff is great like I think we should we should give this like a proper recording too mm-hmm. so then I ended up recording those as well so um the past year is when I recorded with Dwayne I think I met him like in May of last year so this this past like whatever maybe a year and a half is mm-hmm. is the is recording with him and just getting that done, you know, in yeah. the time that we have because our lives are both pretty crazy for this past year too. That's so awesome. Um, and it's great that you were able to work with people that really encourage your creativity in that sense. Um, one of the things I really love about this record is it feels like um, you're doing a lot to embrace and kind of confront your cultural identity as well as like your place in New York and everything lyrically throughout the record. Um, what kind of motivated you to kind of let these kind of things be your subject matter in not just like for yourself personally, but for the record too? Yeah. So, well, one of the difficult things I went through the past um, couple years is that my grandmother passed away Mm -hmm. and, um, and she passed away in Guam where I'm from and where most of my family still is. So, um, that was the culmination of really just grappling with the fact that the way my life has been, the way I directed my life has, has taken me away from my family, from my homeland. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a lot of ways from, from that identity, you know? So, um, so 
this album, I wanted to incorporate, I wanted to like assert that. Mm -hmm. And um, because one, it's healing, like one, it's actually like, like, as you know, it's medicine, right? So, um, and then the second, and the second thing is just, to me, it's just like, it's like revealing who I am, you know, like, I, I don't, I think that indigenous people in general are already erased from society. And so it's important that um, we represent ourselves as authentically as possible, you know, so that's just, that's just inspiration working through me, you know, like the cover is actually my sister on the cover. Um, wow picture that she she her friend had taken of her because you know she was doing something um with her I don't know so like these are just pieces that came together but like I love that photo of my sister yeah and her to be on it and actually there's other photos that she took that I used in that album cover mm -hmm. um so 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 right so like so my grandmother passing away that was so important because she was the last person that I knew personally, like someone who raised me who um, spoke Chamorro or indigenous language and, mm -hmm. you know, natively. Cause my right. mom speaks it and her sister, her generation speaks it, but they lost, um, they weren't necessarily primary speakers, you know? Yeah. Um, so my grandma, like actually losing that, like it's like, it's like losing my grandmother and losing language and losing, like actually seeing in real time, um, how how a culture disappears mm -hmm. i mean it's it's a, it's it's heavy shit <laughs> it's devastating honestly it's to kind of like feel like you're losing that connection to and i feel like sometimes whenever you have that kind of loss whenever it's not just familial but cultural you kind of feel like you're losing a piece of yourself or a piece of yourself that could have been right like it brings up so much i mean it makes you it makes it yeah so there's so many things to consider Mm -hmm. um because there's also like political implications you know and yeah. and in this past year i've um i've been lucky enough to to meet a uh, a group of indigenous people in here in new york mm -hmm. you know lenape hoking um more accurately um to really just like to really just be in, you know to to just befriend each other gather um um and that's so helpful because it's actually very hard to explain to people who are not indigenous what this feels like. Sure. Um, and, you know, obviously like there are other experiences, you know, and our country is so diverse. So I'm just trying to say from where I stand, like, like this is something about myself that's already so hard to process. It's hard to articulate. Um, and I'm just trying to make room for it. And, you know, Hopefully by even doing that, I can encourage other indigenous people to do that too, you know, make room for it for themselves, mm -hmm. um, have, the, have the courage or the nerve, you know, the audacity, the gall, like represent yourself however the fuck you want, you know, yeah. don't care how it's received because it's really about, it's really about your life, your process um, and your joy, you know, and, and, and that's what I try to do is like, try to just do things that actually genuinely fulfill me so you know I I mean I would think all musicians do that but 
it's, it can be tough, you know, it can be just like a kind of, um, you know, there's, there's a sense of putting yourself out there and fearing like rejection. And, mm. and then I think the more you do it, you just kind of get over it. And you're just like, it's okay to be rejected, actually. <laughs> You'll survive that. <laughs> so yeah, sorry, that's a long winded explanation for that whole. No, it isn't. It, it's super helpful. If anything, it's like, it's really special that you're this open about your experiences. And um, especially one that I'm sure can feel very um, personal to you and that like it's it's great that you're finding ways to connect to other people who have had similar if not the exact same experiences and enlightening people who haven't had the same exact experience in that sense and your personal connection to that is just so meaningful yeah thank you yeah definitely um, I wanted to ask you um, so the song to Mariana, was this about your grandmother then and your connection to the Mariana Islands and everything? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't about, it actually wasn't about my grandma specifically. Oh, okay. Because I actually wrote that song before she passed away. Wow. Um, I think that, well, to Mariana is definitely about the Mariana Islands mm-hmm. um, and my connection to my homeland. Um, that song, I would say, to, to, to really share like the, the impetus behind that song. It's, it's about like the indigenous di- diaspora. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'll, we've had multiple migration waves from the Pacific Islands into the continental US over the past like whatever, 50 years, 100 years even. And um, this is like, I wrote that song because it was, that's when I was really starting to confront that I was, I was, I was losing something by being sure. in that I would never regain, and feeling that guilt um, that I never went back to to make my life, you know, in Guam. And maybe, you know, maybe that will change. Maybe I, I still have time to do that and go back. And it definitely happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just like me confronting that pain because it really is painful. I mean, you just I have such a big family there, and then I kind of like started to realized that like wow all the years are just going by and like that's time I'm not spending with my family or time I'm not learning my language you know it's so so that's that's it just like you know wanting to leave as a young person because I wanted to like seek adventure and all this stuff and then I realized like wow like I did I took it for granted you know like I left something so great but that's it that's hard that's that's life right like you can't anticipate these things no, you can't. And it's so mature of you to call these kind of experiences out and like process those emotions because um, some people don't come to that point in their processing and their healing. And um, I'm sure it's helpful to you to understand those feelings and then get them out creatively in that sense. Yeah, that's one of the few ways that I do feel like I can, not tra- if not transcend them, at least just make them more, you know, make them easier to, to deal with. Yeah. Absolutely. That's so amazing. Um, so one of the things that I kind of noticed actually was after listening to the record, um, in your liner notes, you acknowledge the lands of different indigenous peoples and kind of point like that map is so cool that you link to because it like shows which territories were previously held or occupied by different peoples that were indigenous and everything. Um, you kind of shared a little bit about this earlier, but like what motivated you to kind of include this on 
on your records liner notes? Well, I just, um, so this is me trying to reorient my life um, and trying to practice things that are actively fighting against white supremacy, basically. Um, yeah. Acknowledgements, um, I only became familiar with this past year mm -hmm. um, from, you know, meeting and socializing with um, indigenous people here in New York. So it's, so a land acknowledgement is like typically if, like, if you go to an event, have you ever been to an event that had one? I can't say I have. I think that's why I was so intrigued by this, and well, it's I think, great. Yeah, I think they're more common practice in, like, New Zealand and maybe Canada, First Nations people. Like, like land acknowledgements are, if, if you start an event, mm -hmm. you know, it helps everyone ground themselves and right. recognize, like, the history of of where of of our nation our society our culture like this is it's i, I don't know if restorative justice is the right term but it to me the way i see it is like it's like a way of reorienting and grounding yourself because you know ignorance is what perpetuates like systems of racism and cultural genocide and you know so so it's um spreading awareness i think would be the best way to to describe it and there's uh, I don't think there's any I don't know that there's any one way to do it but you're basically acknowledging the the first people of the land that you're on so in my liner notes I linked to that website because that's the only effort that I'm aware of to actually get all that data in one place mm -hmm. and like you to look up so I thought that was a great like I just thought that was a good thing to offer anyone who came to this album like if you go to this website, like look up where you are and who the indigenous people are of the place you're at, like at this moment. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I, I mean, I'm not indigenous to America. I'm indigenous to Guam and the Pacific. So I have like a, I, I'm kind of holding to, I'm holding in my mind to experiences in a sense. Right. Like what it's like to be an indigenous person and have your land like occupied by a colonial, you know, society. And then at the same time, I understand what it's like to be a settler, mm -hmm. you know. I came to New York from so far away. So, um, yeah, so I'm still, in, I'm just trying to learn history and I'm trying to practice um, and apply what I'm learning, you know. Right, that's, that's so powerful in that sense because, um, I am aware of so many different um, resources and stuff when it comes to understanding and acknowledging um, the experiences of like cultures that have been impacted by colonialism and everything. But it was so fascinating to find this like locked into your record where you already had like so much intention when it comes to discussing your experiences. And it was just a really cool like layer that I don't see enough in independent music where it's like, okay, not only have I shared my experience, but here's how you can educate yourself even further. And I'm like, that was just so cool to find that within your creative work where it's like, wow, this is really like, not just pushing me, but anybody who comes upon this record to just like take a look and observe and acknowledge. Great. Yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you uh, particularly 
you know, I'm glad you called that out and that that interested you. And I, you know, in addition to that, I would say um, Black Belt Eagle Scout, I'm mm -hmm. sure you're familiar with, um, with them. Like, I think they're doing a great job of just like explaining, um, or if not explaining, just like asserting, mm -hmm. you know, indigenous identity and, and also just like why it's important. And, and um, so I don't feel comfortable to speak on these issues. Sure, but, that's fine. You know, I, I'm just, but that's why I slipped that in there because um, I just want to kind of point people in a direction if they mm -hmm. need a place to start. Uh, right. That's how I, that, that's kind of the, that's, that's kind of like, be um a blessing that I was given in a sense it's like you know I'm having experiences that are guiding me towards like better sources of information and and you know um even just better cultural experiences and better better way you know so so that's just what I'm trying to pass on I don't I, I I'm still even learning um mm -hmm. the history of Guam too so um yeah that's it it's awesome that you're passing on what you've learned, though, and it seems like you do that with cultural experiences all the way down to, like, experiences that you understand personally. Like, I loved Citadel. Um, I oh, feel wow. like that was a really I, awesome track. I really want to know what you think of Citadel because I'm thinking that should be the second single. Yeah, I love it. It feels like a really loud, like, pushback to kind of, like, the allure of New York in that sense. And, like, you know, it's not just... <laughs> it's, it, it's so cool because I feel like it's it's definitely one of your more like energetic tracks on the well, record. This song and this is a podcast for angry girl music, right? So yeah, it's it's my angriest, I would think. I think trust territory is seething in its Aww. anger, but Citadel was really my my balls to the wall angry song. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like you're pushing back on so much like bullshit that like I feel like exists within. I don't know, just like urban society in a sense, because it's like there's always somebody who wants to take from people who don't have anything. And it's like, you know, there's this facade of like anything can happen. And, you know, I, I just think it was really powerful and stuff where you're just kind of pushing back on like, yeah, it's not all perfect. It's not all, it's not all, it's, it, it's a facade and like there's, there's still opportunity in spaces, but there has to be ownership of like, greed and like right, right. manipulation that exists within like these spaces right yeah I mean I really wrote that from a, I was so frustrated and you know I'm still frustrated but like I really had to just get that out of my system because I just didn't I think it's so easy to exploit I see this in New York I think it's very easy to exploit people who are creative because um that you know you're giving them a platform and giving them visibility mm -hmm. and you know, that stuff is great but it's in, it, but it's it can't be a substitute for like right. you know a well-lived life like it can't be a substitute for like a decent income and like health insurance you know shit like that like I was really I'm I am still really frustrated with just like with uh, I mean there's so many I, I won't even get into it but but yeah New York is um a city of stark um, inequality in a lot of ways so I I just felt like that I needed an outlet you know because 
almost all of us are just like grinding here and and we choose to do this because we really love being here but but it's yeah it's like you've got you've got to figure out a way to be here because it's not cheap and you know and you can it's hard for it to be affordable right yeah because yeah, exposure doesn't pay rent and you know you can't expect like these minimal like stream meager absolutely nothing payouts from like streaming services that's not going to help you pay rent or like get food on the table or anything like that there's no way to sustain like a healthy career as an artist without being manipulated by a system and that's just yeah, bullshit what i find so interesting is that create the creative life is just like it's really taken over everything you know like everything you do that everything that was just done on a normal basis is now like has this creative glamorous like mm -hmm. role model for or spokesperson you know now you can go on instagram and like oh now i can find that glamorous person who repairs appliances you know it's like everyone can be a brand now and so yeah i was i'm not even just frustrated about music and musicians even though that's where like i i first encountered it and so many times i've encountered it but I just kind of see it infiltrating all of our society. We're like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, why, like, just put yourself out there because then, you know, you'll, it's, you know what I mean? Like fame mm -hmm. being a substitute for anything, really. Yeah, it's wild how that's, like, become such a strange fixation in our culture, like, specifically in, like, American culture in general. I don't, I personally don't get it, but... It, it it's very um it's very leech like on genuinely creative artistic people and stuff how they have to like compete brands to quote unquote be successful and it's just strange yeah i mean it has nothing you know people can create things without having an audience for sure and mm -hmm. i think there's a sense that oh if you don't have an audience what are you even doing like are you even creating anything of value like right errors no so like you know, oh, who's this artist? Oh, they have only this many whatever followers on social media. Mm -hmm. Now you can like basically buy the follow. You know, it's just it's just metrics, and it's just what it's advertisers just, yeah. have been using since advertising came into existence, right? It's just metrics. It's just like ways to pitch and sell. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm yeah. That was my, that was definitely my um, out of my frustration for that and a whole bunch of other things. But definitely, thanks for 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 you know I'm glad you enjoyed it because it's nice to just like commiserate <laughs> <laughs> for sure and I feel like a lot of people will latch on to that song for the same reasons that you described it's just it's an experience that so many people who are just working their asses off can understand and relate to because shit's fucked <laughs> there's yeah. no other way to put it <laughs> Well, I love how powerful this record is. Reef Walker is definitely something that I'm going to be um, thinking about for a while. What's something that you really want your listeners to get out of the record? Um, you know, I can't, I don't know how to answer that because I, I just, I really don't want to, you know, affect anyone's way of listening to it. Mm -hmm. um, I would just say if you, you know, if you're, now that someone's listening to this and they're aware of me, who I am, a bit of my background, um, I just encourage people to, to look up, you know, the indigenous people, um, where they are, where they live, mm -hmm. and also be aware of the missing and murdered indigenous women and girl crisis that's going on right now. Mm -hmm. um, it's been going on for several years. 
um, you can Google MMIW. Um, it's, it's also a crisis um, affecting trans and two-spirit people disproportionately. So I also want to point that out. Um, if you care to learn about indigenous people, like learn about you know the, what's, hap what's going on right now and the issues affecting um, our communities right now, so. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Yeah, Thank you so much right. for sharing that because that's super important. And I know there are a lot of people who are unaware of these issues that are plaguing entire communities, and that's just terrifying. Yeah. I mean, the more awareness, then hopefully the more pressure on our, um, you know, law enforcement, on our legal, on the justice system, on our legal systems. I mean, that's that's where we can start. It's just being more aware of what's going. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, a little bit more on you in that sense. Um, what are your plans for the rest of 2019 into 2020? I know Reefwalker is going to be out by the time that this podcast airs, but um, what, what do you have going on? Any live shows or anything like that? Yeah, no, um, I'm working on that. I'm, I've been like so me just trying to get this album out finally <laughs> that I don't have a live I don't have a backing band um exactly right now but that's exactly what I'm working on yes. and I also want to you know make music videos for for most of the songs eventually I want them to have a music video um because I think people are definitely drawn to to just visuals and videos can music videos can help you know express more of the layers of what I'm trying to, you know, of the, of, of the subject matter and the feelings I'm expressing. So that's something that excites me too, playing live and um, putting out my music videos and just, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm pretty sure soon enough I'll work on, I'll be working on the next album because it's just kind of what I do, but yeah, nothing, nothing um, specifically to announce. Just stay tuned. Awesome. Well, everybody's going to have to make sure they follow you to stay tuned for all of that. Um, so one of the things I always like to ask my guests toward the end of an episode is if you could play with any three bands or artists, they can be currently active or bring them back from the dead for like your dream show, who would it be? Wow. So wait, is it like I'm playing music with them or we're sharing a bill? You're sharing a bill or you can play with them if you want. Um, hmm. Okay. If people normally answer like who they want to share the bill with. Yeah, typically. I'll normal. I'll, I'll answer that way. Um, oh my gosh. And it doesn't have to make sense, right? <laughs> no, this is just your dream. Like you just woke up and these are the three bands you were playing with or the three musicians. I would have to say Pixies. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's do the Pixies. And I have to pick three. Yep. You get two more. Three. Okay. Huh. Ha ha ha. Um, dead or alive. Oh my God. That makes it so much harder. Otis Redding. Fuck yeah. Nice. Um, okay, the last one. So hard. I'm just going to pick David Bowie because I'm still sad. I'm still mourning him and it would be really nice to see him in person. I've never, I never got the chance to see him in concert either. So yeah. Nice. Well, your lineup is stacked and I love this so much. It's always fun to me to hear different people's responses and stuff to this because uh, you, you learn more about a person and their goals and their sound influences and everything. So I really love that you shared that. 
Thank you. Yeah, and thank you for having me. This was really fun. Yeah, thanks so much for joining, Rosa. Uh, where can everybody keep up with you online? Okay, so on Instagram, um, you can follow who is Manette. Mm -hmm. um, just one word, who is M-A-N-E-T-T. -T. You could also search my name, Rosa Berdalio, B-O-R-D-A-L-L-O, -L -L and it will come up. And my Bandcamp is rosaberdalio.bandcamp.com. So that's R-O-S-A-B-O-R-D-A-L-L-O.bandcamp.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining, Rosa. Everybody, please be sure to follow and check out Reefwalker. It's an awesome record. Thank you. Bye. Rosa Berdalia. Thank you so much to Rosa for joining this week. Please be sure to stream and support Reefwalker on all of your favorite streaming platforms. 
this has been such a gift to listen to and talk about. So yeah, dig in for yourself. I cannot recommend it enough. That's it for this week, but you can always keep up with me online. Follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for regular updates. Subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Overcast, and more. Want to tell me what you think of the podcast? Leave a review on any of the apps. I'd love to hear from you. For more news, thoughts, feels, or just all of the podcast episodes, please visit angrygirlmusic.com. I'm always booking guest spots, so hit me up at angrygirlmusic at gmail.com. Whether you write and play music, run a blog, take photos, work in publicity, or book shows, this can be a space for you. Send me a link to work and let's chat. Until next time, stay angry and see how you can reveal yourself to others through art. Bye for now. To Mariana from your fan would have shown my love had I known what it meant. But I walked away into an aeroplane, flew across the sea to another day. You're from what you do, who's your dad?